0: to the next episode of Take a Moment. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Bennett.
1: And I'm your other host, Mari Yamaguchi.
0: Mari, hey, thanks for being here today. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here too,
0: Nate. You know what I'm excited about?
1: What are you excited about?
0: I'm excited about hearing more from Dan and Chris in this episode. Uh, That conversation was such a good one that we had to split it up into two separate episodes because there was a lot to cover.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. They had some great insights in the first episode. And then this episode, I think we are going to go even deeper into everything from interviewing tactics and superheroes all the way down to family dynamics and making the most of your time with your kids, even when you have such big responsibilities and so much time constraints.
0: And those are all very, very important topics that are going to be covered uh, by these two amazing guys But I think the most important thing that we cover is the age-old question that uh, mankind has been debating for centuries, nay, millennia, and that is, if you had to fight one of them, would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? I mean, that's really what we want to get to.
1: It's true. That's been a a question that's been weighing very heavily on my shoulders every time.
0: I know it has. And I'm sure that for all of our listeners out there, they have been equally concerned with this age-old question as well. And we're going to seek to answer this question during the process of this conversation.
1: Well, I'm very excited about that. I'm also excited to hear about the family dynamic part. We always ask women about the family dynamic part, but it's very interesting to hear the male side of it because they too are just as involved and want to be just as involved as mothers do and in their role as fathers so i really enjoyed that conversation it really reminded me of my own uh, upbringing with with my father i um, a little bit different but um he was actually a cellist with the uh with a local symphony and i remember that weekends were always they were always out um for concerts so my time off with my dad was a little bit different than probably most kids with their dads working in a regular office kind of thing. But I do remember that my father always made time for me and some of those moments are things that I, that still stick out and uh, I really appreciate uh, the time that he always took to be with me.
0: Absolutely. And I uh, grew up in a household where both of my parents were working as well. And I remember watching them kind of uh, navigate being full-time professionals and full-time parents and parents to four boys and how they navigated that really successfully. And so I was really interested to hear how Dan and Chris balanced their massive travel schedules and work responsibilities and how I still found time to be uh, good fathers and good husbands and uh, man it was really really interesting and certainly very helpful to me So I'm pumped. Are you pumped? Mari?
1: Yes. I'm always pumped but this one has me pumped even more
0: <laughs> <laughs> Extra pumped, <laughs>
1: extra pumped. Um,
0: Well, if you are listening and you are ready to get extra pumped as well Then we invite you to sit back and take a moment with us. Enjoy I was asked once a really really strange question and it's something that gained popularity on reddit a few years back because someone had asked it of president then president obama and i'm curious how the two of you will respond to this crazy question because i know what my response was um outside of you know utter confusion at, at the question but so here's the scenario would you rather and you have to pick one would you rather fight 100 duck sized horses, or one horse sized duck? You got to fight one. You fight a whole bunch like a 100 little vicious duck sized horses coming at you? Or would you rather just have to face and defeat one gigantic duck?
2: I was kind of excited about this question. I, I don't know that I am. <laughs> uh, I'm interested to hear Dan's response first. Uh, okay. I don't know how we're Think going about to it. Into, Think into about it. Think about it.
0: Your jobs about uh it. depend on your answer to this question.
3: <laughs> I, I this is gonna be incredibly unvaluable because uh, I haven't thought about this. Uh my my knee jerk is that I would rather fight a uh horse-sized duck. Uh for a couple of reasons. One, I have been run over by a horse. I've been bitten by horses. <laughs> They have very mean teeth, and I feel like if there was 100 duck-sized horses, they would overcome me with their little teeth. And um, little hooves. And, and they're, <laughs> they're also, uh, as animals, very um, uh, muscular, and the, the overpowering of that would be, would be overwhelming. I would rather fight a duck-sized horse. Uh, ducks have brittle bones that are hollow, and I feel like I could take advantage of that. Um, ducks don't, their aggression, they don't have sharp teeth. So even if it bit you, I feel like it would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're only dealing with one foe who doesn't have great, uh, lateral movement. Right. Uh, which is important They're They go forward and backwards and hit you with their wings, but side to side, maybe you could bob and weave. Um, wouldn't they
1: peck at you though? Still? They would
3: peck at you and it would, it still hurt, but I feel like <laughs> the, the overcoming, uh, uh, duck-sized horses a hundred of them that's a lot of like when i horses. get on the ground i'm done <laughs> like they're attacking you with their big teeth versus uh, uh, you, know, you don't have fangs on a duck mm. you know they've got those little you know tiny little teeth peck at you and you know that'd be annoying but i feel like i could break a leg or a wing if i really put my mind to it on that big <laughs> duck-sized interesting
0: <horse> strategy <laughs> chris you've got the military background uh, how do you feel about Dan's strategy, and uh, do you
2: have a different approach? Uh, I'm not going to go military on this one. I'm going to go more of the degenerate side of me, the gambling side. Wow. Okay. And I like to know the end result as soon as possible, right? So if I'm going to play some blackjack, it's fast paced. Cards are coming at you quickly. You can raise your bet significantly higher, and whatever your budget is to mm-hmm. to gamble with. I want to know in like fifteen to twenty minutes if it's going to be a good day or if I just need to go pony up at the bar and have a couple of drinks and uh, think about a better strategy. So I would go with the uh, the big horse duck. I figure like right away I would know if I could take it. I have been uh, I'm a month into my jujitsu training so. I figure I could do something with one of those little duck legs or definitely that duck neck I'd be, <laughs> I'd be focused on. You're also just, an
1: avid CrossFitter, too, so I feel like you can I don't know.
2: I, yeah, but what I've learned in Jujitsu, jitsu that means nothing. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you know where the, uh, how to leverage the, um, the angles and how to use their body weight against them, then uh, that's why I'm, I'm just thinking about that neck and, and thinking of, I know about three or four <laughs> different moves I could throw on, on that neck really quick. Whereas a hundred ducks, I think I would get out of the gate. I would kick a couple of them pretty far, and I would be fairly successful. Uh, but at some point in time, I would be overran, and then, like Dan said, get on the ground, and I think it just would be a painful experience after that. So, I want to get to the the end result as uh, quick quick as I can. And I think that would, uh, the best opportunity for that was going against that, that horse side suck.
0: See, and now we know everything we ever needed to know about both of you because <laughs> so the takeaway <laughs> um,
1: is we have to do jujitsu. Right. So, <laughs>
0: so
2: how does this tie into management? I don't know. Oh, it was thought, asked of me could. during an
0: interview and it totally threw me. And I was like, what is the right response to this? Like, I felt like everything uh, weighed on my response to that. And so I said something stupid. I think what I said was, well, it depends if I'm on land or in the water. If I'm on land, one horse-sized duck for sure. Um, Because he's not going to be – he's got big flippery flipper feet. He's not going to be very fast, not very agile. I think I brought in, like Dan said, the avian bone thing. Um, In the water, though, no way. Give me the little tiny horses because they're not going to swim very well with their hooves um but of chris and they're
1: so muscular so they'll just kind of exactly sink. they'll
0: just sink but what i'm learning most about today is don't mess with chris howe because yeah. the man <laughs> is talking about i'm just learning jujitsu and i could snap your neck like a chicken bone and well, that's duck's good neck. to know ducks that's, neck 100%. that's thought leadership right there <laughs> ducks neck. that's thought leadership <laughs> snap your neck like a duck a gigantic duck neck a gigantic duck neck. That's I do something have a, I never uh, thought I would say.
2: an interview question that I, I always get a lot of uh, raised eyebrows on. And uh, it started at uh, with uh, I was managing some uh, development team and I'm the worst person to try to interview developers. right? I had managers that could fully assess their, their technical capabilities. But uh, I like to know what type of technical resource I'm getting. So one way I've found to, to flush that out and it's it's oddly accurate. And we were having a conversation before the start about the end game. So y'all can probably even help me add on to this. But I always ask them, what's their favorite Marvel character and why? And you you would see, you know, Captain America. You got these people that have leadership traits, those ownership traits that I like. You know, the Iron Man <clears throat> are the more uh, engineering. They like to play with the toys architect type roles. You know Hulk um that could be one of those uh resources that take the the mantra proceed to apprehend it a little too too literally um you know Thor, I think that they're uh, maybe a better fit for like Dan's team where they have that that artistic freedom <laughs> um but you can just go down the line of these characters and there's just certain traits about them that correlate to the to the technical world, and you are uh what I've seen is the 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 folks that I'm talking with their fascination or attraction to a certain type of uh, character has revealed a lot in, in themselves actually. So I've always liked doing that. It sounds like, Oh, this is sounds easy. You know, wasting time asking this type of question or trying to be funny, but I've actually got a lot of value. And one time I even had a guy lie. About who his favorite character yeah. was, and he lasted at the company about 90 days. And Wait, how was...
0: did he? How did you know that he lied? Because
2: I I do a lot of uh, homework before I interview someone. I go on LinkedIn, I go on uh, this various social media, Instagram, Facebook. So I want to you. know everything about this person because I I mentioned that we're going to incorporate into into our team, and I definitely look at my team as a team slash family. So I want to I want to know much, as much about this person as I can before they get in there. And I saw their um their Facebook just littered with a certain uh Marvel character. So when I asked that question to an interview, they went a whole different route. And it was someone that I was actually on the fence with uh with hiring, but the actual hiring manager reported through me was adamant that we do it. So I support my leaders and th- thought, okay, give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's hire this person. And then yeah, they were, they were they really were passionate about the Marvel character that I saw on their Facebook versus what they said in the interview. So after about a month or so, I asked them about it and they said, well, I, I got nervous and I thought I, I'd tell you what you wanted to hear. I was like, uh... do not think I'd want to hear Captain America. <laughs> but it just I mean, we had a lot of trust issues with this with this person and um, they weren't the best team team teammate because of that. And so it was just weird how like a, a an off the um, cuff question like that, you know, and then just their response to it. So that's why I really like um, what Dan was saying, because he's just putting people in in various uh, abnormal situations where he can, um, you know, try to extract more personality or character or kind of see where they go with that. And I, like I said, I'm kind of racking my brain on, on how can I incorporate something like that versus show me how you build a pool or something, you know, how do they how do they behave and react when um, they're in a situation where they have to think on the fly like that? Mm. So like
3: that. Ask me uh, what my favorite interview question is.
0: Dan. Yes. I've got a question for you. Oh, ready. (laughs) What would you say is your, this is an original question. I just thought of this. Okay. What would you say is your favorite interview question to ask during an interview?
3: Oh my gosh. That's a really great question. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it actually, I was thinking about this when you were responding, Chris is the, um, it, it's it, kind of along the same lines, interestingly. Um, there's a guy named Sir Ken Robinson who has the most popular TED Talk for years. Um, and he wrote a book called The Element. And in it, um, he he describes the definition of your element as being where your passion and where your uh, ability meet. And so you could be a person who played piano your whole life, but you hate it, but you're great at piano. It's not your element. You could be a person who loves to play the piano but you suck at it you're not in your element your element is where your passion and your abilities come together and so the version of that question i will ask people that question or the other version of it which is more maybe crass is more like what's your superpower and it's a really fascinating question and i think even asking it in that way similar to the what's your marvel character trying to find questions where even if i want to know like what are you good at and what are you passionate about versus going hey Dude, like, what's your superpower? Like, it throws people off a little bit to give you an honest answer. And then you'll, I will also ask, like, what's your kryptonite? Like, hmm. what, what, what's, what, what do you suck at? And I'll, at, I'll ask that question. And it's, and that question's the most important because, you know, hearing what someone's superpower is, where you start to see them or not light up. At what they're good at and what they're what they what they feel like they bring and then also the hardest question i think this is goes to what chris was commenting on is when you ask someone what their weakness is what is your failure what is your kryptonite what are you bad at that honesty builds so much trust for me to go okay you're transparent like and so when you hear the answer <clears> of <throat> Well, I work too hard. I care too deep. I focus too <laughs> hard. And I forget everything. For like, you're like, okay. Versus going, <clears throat> I had a candidate the other day that uh, we recently hired, and and they said I don't know how to say no, and I burn out. And you're like, okay, like I can work with that because like y- you 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 want to please people, and so you're gonna burn yourself out. But which is a version of I'm working too hard, mm-hmm. and it's that people pleasing, and so that kryptonite type of question. That's telling a lot if you can get enough trust from that person to say, I'm weak in a certain area. And if they actually tell you, I can go, okay, I can trust you enough to like do that versus some BS answer that, you know, an interviewer wants to hear. Right.
0: That's it's like dating, a- right? What's
2: that?
1: It's like dating.
2: How is it like dating, Mari? <laughs> well, Tell me, when have you been dating, Mari? Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I'm just I've saying. been off the market for quite some time. <laughs> this is a breaking no, news uh, podcast. No, I just <laughs>
1: saying, it's like dating when you're first dating somebody, when we first meet somebody, or if they have like those online profiles, they're all being all fakey and, you know, I love puppies and rainbows and <laughs> kitty cats. And I then you find and out, hiking. you know that they hate animals and they're horrible individuals. <laughs> <later> <laughs> <on>. But <laughs> well, Mars has been on some rough dates
0: <laughs> in my past life. Yeah, but. in the past life.
1: Yeah. But it is, right? Like it, it, cuz you're building up that relationship with somebody, so you want that person to be human and be transparent and be be honest with you at the end of the day, like so that you can have that trust so that when something does fail, you know that they weren't doing it for a malicious reason. Or, you know, you can trust them to go off and go off the range a little bit and and come back with something really awesome.
0: Right. And I think that's actually a really good uh response that Dan got uh from this candidate when they said, uh, I it's really difficult for me to say no. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a legitimate problem that a lot of people have. It's like, I just take on too much mm-hmm. and I burn out. And isn't that great for you to know going into that relationship as their manager? Okay. That's something I'm going to have to be aware of as I go in. Um, and they're a part of my team it's to make sure that we're than, not loading uh, them on. It's better than I have crippling gambling debt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier. It's better than uh, I refuse to shower or bathe. Right. You can deal with, you mm-hmm. can't deal with some of mm-hmm. those. I don't believe in <laughs> soap. I don't believe in so Yeah, it's probably that's that's my kryptonite. Yes. <laughs> we often ask, and Dan, you made me think of it because you brought up that book by Sir Ken Robinson. Robinson, mm-hmm. right? Um if there are some books that you find yourself recommending to other people, either books about life or books about business, if there's um, something that you've read or if you like uh, audiobooks like I do, something that you've recommended to other people to say, this is really great. It's been really valuable for me. Do you have one or two of those that you could recommend because Mari and I are looking to build our libraries?
2: Yes build ourselves i'll start i i kind of figured this question would be asked so i was uh, thinking about it um, the one i'm reading right now i'm at the tail end of it is uh, extreme ownership by jocko willink he's a uh former navy seal that served uh in afghanistan and iraq and now he's a professional business consultant and the structure or format of the book is really interesting because each chapter starts off with a live battlefield situation um and so, being uh, you know highly interested in in the military, I you know, I'm drawn to that stuff. Uh, so I I like reading about the the battlefield stories and understanding what the situation was and how they overcame it. Uh, and then the next part of the chapter would be, uh, what's the business principle that was learned from this battlefield situation? And then uh, the third portion of the chapter is a real life business scenario where he was doing his consultation and was able to um, consult with uh, the people he's working with and uh, apply that battlefield lessons learned to the, to the business situation that they were in. So it's not your, your standard, just, you know, black and white text, uh, uh, business book, a lot of, a lot of colors added to it. When you read about the types of conditions they were in on the battlefield, and then you you look at you know the business lessons that you can apply to you know every day we go into the office. So, uh, extreme ownership by Jocko Willink, and and I'll tell everyone on here right now: go to YouTube and uh, look up Jocko Willink good video. If you ever need a, uh, an injection of some motivation, that 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 video will get you going. It's all about failing, and your natural response should be good. Now I'm going to get better uh so i probably listen to that two days a week if i'm not uh feeling to my best capabilities And like i said it's like a a shot of coffee right to the heart i think the next uh book um it might even just be simply titled titled leadership um um by giuliani um uh, by no means is this of uh, a political affiliation it's more or less his uh thought process on leadership and i just remember uh, you know, before Agile became the, the craze in the uh, in the project management world, he talked about daily stand up with, with his direct reports every morning and how important that communication and alignment was. And that's certainly something I've practiced uh, uh, throughout my career. So there's one that uh, right now I'm reading the uh, Extreme Ownership. And then the, the second to that is one I've read that that started influencing my, my leadership thought process. And that would be the uh, leadership uh, written by uh, Rudolph Giuliani. Um, Dan, what about you? I don't have a good business book. uh, It doesn't have to be a business. It could be Um, a coloring
3: book book. that you'd recommend. Um, I just finished a book called The The Monster of Florence, which is about a serial killer in the 1960s in uh, Italy, which has no real business bearing. Uh, (laughs) Or does it? Or does it? it? What's your Um, business? I just finished a book called uh, Brave Companions by David McCullough, uh, who's a great historical uh, author. I, I like that story because it's a lot about People who overcome adversity—it's like more vignettes of of stories. You did make me think of a story. If you'll give me a, a sixty seconds of rope, um, I was interviewing. Uh, this was probably twelve years ago, and I was asked this question. It was this kind of—it was one of those interview cycles. And I talked to the managers, whoever, and then they brought in somebody who would be my peer, and he was—he was—he was kind of a jerk type of character, you know. And I could tell immediately. I'm like, I'm, we're not going to like each other um and he was asking me those typical interview questions and He said dan uh tell me about the last book you read and what you got out of it and i had i had just been talking to my brother about a book that malcolm gladwell had written um uh called uh the tipping point which was years ago and he had told me about the book i'd never read it he told me about the book and he had talked about this this t- type of person called a maven and the maven is the person that when they get the new device or the new thing, they go out and evangelize and tell everybody about it. Right. So I remembered that. And I had just finished reading the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that had come out around that time. So I said, well, I've read two books. Uh, one is called The Tipping Point, which I hadn't read. And the other is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I had read. And he said, well, tell me about something you got from both. And I started telling him what my brother had told me about the tipping point <laughs> highly successfully about mavens and et cetera. He great. Tell me about the seven habits. What is your favorite habit? And I had read this book and I blanked. I could not remember a single habit of highly effective people. <laughs> and I, I blanked and I said, I, I, I don't remember. So it ended up coming across that I lied. About the book that I had read, and came across that I was truthful about the book that I had not and I left the interview and immediately I started remembering habits, begin with the end in mind, I started remembering these habits, and it was a funny it it was a it was a humbling moment for me to go you don't remember reading comp uh, uh, um, you, you don't remember your reading under highly stressful situations, but you do recall stories of other people. But you can make up lies. Things. But I can make <laughs> up lies. <laughs> so based lies. on that,
0: yeah. Chris, so based on that, uh, Dan would not be a good candidate for your team, Chris, because he's just lying about superheroes and books and all this sort of thing.
2: I don't know. Sometimes at PM, you have to craftily um, be optimistic about what the situation is. So maybe that's a, a needed skill. Oh, very oh, nice. So life, very nice I, I
3: was highly passionate. About the tipping point, about the thing that my brother had told me about, I thought it was very relevant and interesting. And uh, but yeah, I was a total fool. Still at work with confidence. One other book
2: too, um, and this is one one point I wanted to bring up here is a lot of times, you know, when we talk about leadership, it gets associated with a role or you know uh, some position within a certain hierarchy, and it's not that. I mean, a leadership starts your, your day one with zero work experience and uh the book i really like and, and i don't know who it's by um you got your phone followership and it really it really talks about how you create those people that that believe in you believe in your cause and support you and and that starts day one being being a good person to work with uh being helpful being fun to work with and you know you, you create this level of respect and and people that want to engage and help help you out and, and you create that followership you know wherever you go. So when I've been over teams and uh, had to transition to a different role, and you know left uh, left my left team members behind, I always just said, hey, you're not a uh, you're not someone that I that I just like working with, or just uh, an employee at this company. I mean, t- to me, you are a, a Chris Howell person. Wherever I go, I'm always going to be looking for opportunities, whether that's under me, uh, or um, you know under other another department that's a good fit for where you want to go with your careers and skills. So I, uh, I really believe in the, in the followership, and uh, you know, that's one large approach that I use is, is working to build authentic relationships. And you know I, I, and I make that sound like a Chris Howell person. It sounds somewhat egotistical, at least when I say it to myself. However, I, I can say that I'm a follower of, of folks. I mean, there, there are people that I work with day to day that I highly respect, and if, if they call on me for anything, I'll, I'll just say yes and figure out you know, how, to, how to make it happen later. First podcast, Mari asked me, I <laughs> just jump right in and, and, and do it. Um, and yeah, there's been a, a lot of influential people, uh, the current company at and, and before that, uh, you know, I would say that I fall under uh, their followers and, and believe in them. And um, it's an important aspect too to be able to, um, to do that, because while you're doing it, look at those types of traits and skills and, and areas that you respect in those individuals and steal from them. I mean, that's that's what I can say. No, none of anything I do from a leadership standpoint, I read in one single book or anything. I mean, most of it, 90 percent of it is either recognizing successful traits or habits of leadership that I respect or looking at the things that folks don't do so well that I say, hey, when I'm in that position, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that differently. You're both fathers.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm wondering, I've got
0: uh, a question. Two parts one is what did you learn from your father or what have you gleaned from your father that you're now incorporating into your parenting um either good or bad and then the second part of my question is how do you maintain a work-life balance with your family because you both have very important positions very important titles you travel a lot uh you work really hard Um, How do you maintain that balance of still being there for your family and your kids, even though you're traveling all the time, you're working, uh, your job is really, really demanding. Um, For those of us out there who are not yet parents or who might struggle with that balance, what
2: advice would you give? First part, I would say. From an individual standpoint, uh, my my dad definitely believed in me and and kind of set or had higher expectations of me than I did myself. So as an individual, that that certainly motivated me. I would say, and this is I would say more of a a, a negative that when I look at my role to my son and then look at me to my dad, uh, what I didn't like is um and you know, kind of a non, non-formal family where we had visitation with the father and everything. So I'd get to see him my, my once a month or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'd be playing video games and he'd be on the laptop. Right. And this was back in the early nineties. So I don't even know what the uh, specs were on that laptop, but he would be on the laptop all the time. And I, it, it just didn't feel, feel good. Right. So while, I, while he had a very positive impact on my life and and set good expectations for me and challenged me. Uh, there was this, this, portion of engagement that I felt was lacking that I'm very cognizant of now uh, that I'm that I'm involved when I'm around I have a three and a half year old and I have one uh, on the way of July 22nd Congratulations. Congratulations. thank you very excited about it uh, so when I when I look at that engagement standpoint you got to make the time when you're there matter it's not just sitting in the room on the laptop and so that's kind of spills into the The next question is, you know, how do you how do you maintain that that work life balance Uh, here? Recently, I've uh, uh, accepted a role back in uh, December that um, that had a lot more um, consumed a lot more of my time than previously. So I just set um, a ground rule that, um, you know, 80 percent of the time I'm I'm not going to be checking email or on my phone from 6 to 9 p.m. I'm going to be. In there you know having the the dinner asking him questions even though he doesn't really answer me or it's always i played with dinosaurs today that's the only response i can get <laughs> uh but i but i make i make those moments uh count and, and am i and am i perfect at it no but we I have a good support system with uh with my wife that that i asked her to help me ke- keep me accountable because i i still have those visions of playing the video games my dad has a laptop and i just don't want my son having those same visions but me on my phone or whatever so Try, try to be engaged and then, you know, just making the time count that counts and then leveraging the tools that we have today, the video chats. And, uh, you know, I, I will give a shout out to someone that had a um, an extremely influential, um, said extremely influential example for me. It's uh, Scott Thomas. He's the, the head of ed for for Genesis. And we had to go to an all week workshop. And he said, hey, uh, I'll be there for the all week workshop. But Thursday, I won't be there that morning. And I just curious. Oh yeah, what what do you got going on? And he's like, well, I'm going to fly back that night, and uh, I've got, um, you know, I think it was like donuts and dads or something with my kids, and then I'm going to catch the the next flight out at ten, and I'll be there by noon. And I thought, man, that is a lot of trouble for some donuts. But this guy, he has, you know, m- multiple kids, um, highly respected in in the community. A former uh, frat brother of mine, highly respected in that that ecosystem. And i felt if he was placing that much importance on it you know that's the level if i ever fall short of that level i'm not doing as much as i can but that's the level i'm setting as my baseline and i'll go below it sometimes but i'm darn well going to try to shoot at it or above it as much as i can it's awesome
0: dan what about you
3: um you're hitting me i actually at a raw moment in my life so it's a it's actually a really it's a it's a really good question uh pertaining to family um Uh, the first question you, you asked is what I learned from my father. I, I had a kind of looking back on it, I had a, a a semi unorthodox family. I had a, a father who was a Baptist minister who had had polio when he was a kid. So he walked kind of funny. Uh, I had a brother with muscular dystrophy. So he was in a wheelchair. Um, I have a older, literally redheaded brother. And, um, we were a strange kind of family, like in, like it was normal to us. Um, and the thing I <clears throat> the thing I learned about my dad, which was helpful, and it pertains to what I talked earlier about about balancing rebellion, was he had grown up with a World War II dad, baby boomer, um, disengaged father, um, wasn't there, and they were fine, you know, um, affluent to to some extent, um, but my dad had made this choice to rebel against his dad because he just wanted a dad that was more engaged. And so growing up, I grew up in a house that was where my dad was trying to chart a new course for his family, and my dad's now 71, 72 years old. He still kisses me on the lips. You know, it's a very affectionate family, right? Um, but a lot of what I learned from my dad was like that you can chart a new course for yourself um, and and that it's okay uh, if it's healthy to, to chart a new course for yourself. And that, that was always something that stuck with me. Um, in terms of the work-life balance, that's when I to say you hit me at a raw moment, it's actually been the last few weeks I've been really evaluating, uh, where you, when you're working and we're all busy, like just because of we're here, we're not any busier than anybody else. Like we're all busy. And, and there's certainly, some a burden of responsibility when you have more people on your team, et cetera. Um, but for me, what I've been evaluating is more when you get caught into the system of kind of expectation of, of when you're not setting boundaries for yourself to say, even just because other people are operating or working a certain way or doing it a certain way doesn't mean you have to. And so it's things even recently of going, do I need to go on that business trip? You know, I had a trip six months ago, six or seven months ago, where I was going to Bangkok. And I had to do about three hours worth of presentations to a team. And I went, and I remember sitting in the hotel room thinking, I round trip, am going to have traveled about 64 hours to deliver three hours of content. One, am I that valuable? Right? And two, was there another way? Um, So I don't I don't know that there's a a work life balance, um, but it is something where I've had to really reflect recently of going, you're just kind of getting caught in the machine of like, this is just how you operate. And you're not consciously making decisions to go putting your family first and focusing on them and their needs. And you're just kind of get you just get into a habit. Right. And so um, with me, I'm still I think I'm in the midst of learning that of going um, as Chris said, I'm I was the guy who's like on the laptop when you get home and you're disengaged. And so, just recently, like putting that stuff away and going and watching Dude Perfect with my 13 year old on his YouTube channel to watch people who flip, you know, water bottles successfully, and that's engaging to him. Or really wrestling with my six year old son, and and or my daughter who's just got in a wild imagination, just sitting there with her and letting her do that. It's I think it's a very active, it's a trap that we all get into. Um, and I've certainly been in it and and really, as Chris said, like actively you have to make a plan and decisions to put boundaries up with your job because your job, especially if you love it, can kill you. It's like anything, you know, it can it can overtake you. And um so anyway, you I'm a work in progress on that question. <laughs> I think we
1: all we will right? um,
0: we'll meet here 10 years from now and I'll ask
2: you the same question. Okay.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> I got a, I got a question from Dan. I'm curious. Um, so what, what do you feel like the ultimate responsibility of a uh, manager or leader is
3: the ultimate responsibility of a manager? Um, I would go back to what I said earlier. I think, I think hiring is to me the most important thing because if you hire the right person, that cascades in a positive way toward the team. So I think for me at least, even when it's, and you've mentioned it earlier, uh, we hired three new people that all started yesterday, um, actually Monday. And um, I, I don't enjoy the sourcing and interviewing and all of that, but I take it really seriously, even if they're not working directly for me, uh, to be able to be a part of that hiring. And then I think outside of that, it is giving them liberty For me, at least, it's giving them liberty to do their best work and not in the things that bother me. I've had this happen even recently where I thought I was doing a good job where you would find out people who are not feeling liberty to tell me when they're overworked or having a problem. And I thought I'd created this environment. It's great. And then you find out people that you trust are going, no, I'm not feeling safe. And so that constantly be more active and working to make it an environment where those people can do their best work is is
2: there's probably a better answer but that's that's where where i'm at what about you you? i mean i think you hit the nail right on the head toward uh to the your latter statement uh you know i've always um emphasized that my my primary responsibility as a manager is to extract every ounce of value and productivity i can from my workforce and still make them love me i mean that's that's the art of it right because uh I've seen uh, approaches that are very direct, and uh, even in the business world, very militant. This is how it will be done. This is how you would do it. I will say the success level of that is is very rare. Um, and then when it is successful, you know, are you winning the the hearts and minds of your employee base? Which again, we are just living life, and that should be one component to your style is to make sure people are are having fun and and uh, living the the life that they that they. Uh, see as a uh, valuable and, and exciting and uh, engaging. Uh, so how do you how do you get all the value and productivity out of them with, with making uh and, and still having them love you? And, you know, really, that's going to differentiate based on you know various um, personality types. And then even with those personality types, they're uh, different situations. Uh, I always like to make sure that people understand what the opportunity is they're working for. Um, You know, and then with that, how do they how do they seek praise? Is it recognition? Is it just a note? Is it you just being friends with them? Kind of
0: their uh, love language. What's their love language? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I think one way of thinking uh, very early on in my career was you separate personal and professional. Uh, But especially with the technological tools out these days, everything is so intertwined. And I think for me to be uh, a strongly, highly effective leader, Building building strong personal relationships uh, is 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 such a motivator because you um, you you generally care about them and um, and and they they care about you and it gives you just the opportunity especially as a leader to be authentic. I think that is something leaders have a hard time with is showing vulnerability uh, or where they're not competent and I. Uh, Within the past year, I've embraced that that term, mm-hmm. and I have to, I have to be very mindful to say that. Hey, I'm embracing being vulnerable as a leader. I think that's my <laughs> way of kind of diffusing the situation. Uh, but it doesn't stop once you get into it. The learning process doesn't start stop. And I think we, you mentioned that earlier when you get to be a manager, director, VP. I mean, really, what that does is now, now you're on display in front of not only your team but all those around you, and you've got to continue. Figuring out how you sharpen, uh, your your tool set is that with books? Is it with people? Is it a pro- professional mentor? That's something else I would encourage to people. Go out there and uh, if you see a leader that you respect, um, ask them if you can set up thirty minutes with a monthly. I've never rejected anyone that said, "Hey, can I meet with you in thirty minutes?" Uh, I, I I value that time. I like to understand what they want to learn from me. And a lot of the times, I'm I'm learning from them. How can I connect with maybe a different generation of of workers? Uh, or how can I build um, a team of future all stars? Because all the all stars I brought in a few years ago are now way overpaid, and I you know it's going to be hard to, <laughs> hard to move them to future roles that I get. But this base that's just coming into the workforce um they're they're highly intelligent they they know how to use the technology they they think outside of just uh, assembly line production and they think bigger picture so you know connecting with our our new employee base that's just out of uh out of school or just entering um, the professional environment it's very motivating to to build relationships with them and pass along what you've learned um professionally and personally so that's, um, you know, they can they can even be better than than you were because they're getting a head start if they're receptive to the types of feedbacks and uh, coaching that you can provide them.
3: And Chris, you 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 made me think of one more thought that I, I have observed is earlier in my career when I started managing people, um, not being afraid to hire people that are much smarter than you. And I've seen that with leaders who are afraid to not to be the person they need to be the person who knows the most and i remember when i started managing um i inherited a team and sitting down with a couple of individuals and literally asking them i don't know why you're working for me like you're way more experienced you're smarter than me and over the years i've i've found that to be incredibly comforting to try to hire people that are better than you and and i think that's a really big it's a it's really important because those people even if you're selfish they'll make you look good but, but more importantly, like it, you still bring something to them, like even if they're more intelligent than you or they have more of an aptitude or an expertise in something, um, if you're afraid to do that, you're going to hire inferior teams because of your own insecurity. And um, that, that was a great lesson that others had taught me early to just like you want somebody better than you and smarter than you. Embrace that. And that can be really powerful on a team.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's something I uh, failed to mention when we talked about the interviewing criteria. But that's that's a standard they they have to be smarter than me. I, yeah. I don't want anyone where I would think that I, I'm more intelligent than them. Uh, the only thing that I that I really look at, especially if the, I have more professional experience, is uh, I can just give them the experience I have, and they just need the reps. And as soon as they get the reps, they're they're going to pass me, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that's uh, extremely important. I'll make one, one final point here because I know we're hitting probably like the two-hour mark. But, uh, you know, it's important to, to build your teams to be self-sustainable. One, one fault I see managers make is because they were highly successful individual contributors, they feel that once they get a team, they've got to cover all the gaps in their team. One impact I've seen that have is that that person then becomes so vital to holding that team together, their leadership above them doesn't want to um, disturb that um, that system. So they may look at, at other people for opportunities. But uh, if you can get your team so that it's self-sustainable and you have in your mind what that stack ranking is of um, people that you would advance if you get another opportunity, that's how you're gonna build your career. And I, I said, uh use the example when I first became a manager, it seemed like every call I was on, I had five action items. And so I was just building more tasks every day, and I didn't feel like I was spending my time in the right area. So I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not taking any more action items. I'm gonna work with my team and empower them to start learning how to do this. I'm gonna spend my time with teaching them how to fish. And so what that allowed me to do is, one, I ran a highly effective organization because the people ran it. I was only needed when there was problems. And then that's where I spend my time, clearing those, those roadblocks or getting them the training or getting them the tools, whatever they felt that they could do to be their best and still love me. And uh, from that, since we were successful, you get expanded opportunities. So this particular organization, I was managing a professional services uh, team, and then they gave me care. And then took the same uh, same approach with care. What does this team need? Put the right leader in, in place to 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 give that team what they needed. And it was a care team. I knew nothing about support. I just knew that the types of people that were capable and uh, and motivated to do it that I trusted, put them in there, uh, had them help me understand what they need, and then that that rolled into site level. I uh, was managing the whole site at that point in time. Well, then the uh this was an acquisition that, uh, that i worked for that uh a company a larger company i worked for made and so then they wanted me to come back to the headquarters and run uh, a much larger team and it was the first question they asked okay this uh this entity was not optimal you've made it optimal who's taking over for you and i had uh you know already identified who that would be and and a lot of times it's a lot more complicated than just giving a name um you know, that's one thing you got to do as a leader is recognize when you have high performers and not shield them or hide them. They'll get frustrated. You won't give them the right opportunities. Uh, it's just not a, it's not healthy if if you're going to shield your talent. So I I've always put my my talent on on display, and I mean that's some of the biggest professional compliments I've had is when taking someone to director, and this year, two people that I brought into this company will be up to VP. I take extreme satisfaction in that. Um, so, you you give them the opportunity to showcase their skills. So, that way, when someone's knocking on your door for an opportunity and you say, oh, Dan Rood's going to take this over. Well, well, Dan's awesome. He was on this project. He presented at this. <laughs> he has the types of skills. Yeah, he'll, he could easily replace Chris. And then I, I go on to the next opportunity. So, uh, Are you offering say, me a job? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a lot this this session for you, so maybe maybe I might put it on the calendar once in
1: a while. Well, we've certainly learned a lot, and we love both of you, and we really appreciate both of you being, like you said, vulnerable and really peeling back the layers on what it means to build yourself as a leader and also just as a, as an individual as well. So we Absolutely. thank both of you for your time.
0: Chris, Dan, thank you very much for taking a moment with us.